0: Hi, I'm Doug Church, Deputy Director of Public Affairs at the National Air Traffic Controllers Association, and welcome to the NACA podcast. Today I want to talk about the busy Wichita airspace. I present to you the story of how three of our NACA members at Wichita Tower, Hunter Rubin, Dan Hittner, and James Smart, work together as a team to prevent a wrong airport landing of a Cessna Citation and a possible collision course with another aircraft. For their efforts, the three NACA members are the 2020 recipients of the Archie League Medal of Safety Award for the Central Region. Wichita is home of General Aviation Manufacturing and has been called the air capital of the world for nearly a century. There's six airports in McConnell Air Force Base right near the city in Wichita Controllers Airspace. That presents clear situational awareness, responsibilities, and unique challenges. On the eastern side of the city, there are three airports lined up in a row, north to south, including two, Colonel James Jabara Airport and Beach Factory Airport, that are only three miles from each other with similar runway layouts. The citation in this story intended to land at Jabara, but something went wrong as the pilot neared the two similar and adjacent airports and Hunter was there to catch it. I talked with Hunter recently and here's our conversation. My first question is about you and getting to know you a little bit. Uh, You've been in the agency now about four years, is that right? Uh, Actually five now. (laughs) Five. (laughs) times fine, yeah. Hired in February of uh,
1: 2016. <laughs>
0: okay. Talk about your background. Where are you from and, and how did you find your way to the air traffic control profession?
1: Um, I was born and raised in uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico. Um, lived there for 18, 19 years and uh, always had a love and a heart for aviation, whether it was pilots and flying or air traffic control and doing that side. and. Uh, I guess you could say like the heart fell in right when I was born pretty much because my dad was a
0: controller too. Oh, he was? Where was he a controller at?
1: My dad, he was a controller. He started in Fairbanks for about three years, four years, and then he transferred to Albuquerque Tower and was there for, oh, I'd say at least 15. And then he had kids and needed more money, so he transferred to Albuquerque Center then. And then he spent another 15 years in the center. (laughs) Yeah, I guess you could say it started then when I was born pretty much with dad being in that field. <laughs> what was that like? Uh, it was really cool, um, especially back in the day when the FA allowed visits and all that stuff more often than not. And so there was many times when I went with my dad at least once, twice a week and saw what he did and everything. And I just loved it. It was such a different job that, you know, you really don't see anywhere else. <laughs> um, you know, it's not a teacher or a police police officer or an office person it's it's a family it's a community in your area and just what you do is just different like people always it's hard to explain the job sometimes to people you know they're like what do you do air traffic control so you're the wand waver no it's <laughs> you know i'm <laughs> you know it's just it's just something cool that's different that you don't hear about or think
0: about really what, what is your dad's name uh, his name's barry okay do you have any brothers and sisters
1: I do. I have a younger brother, uh, three years younger than me. And uh, yeah, that's it. Just me and my brother. He's he's uh, the school gumby doctor, and <laughs> he's got another 10 years of school left, maybe, but hey, it's what he
0: loves. <laughs> yeah. So why air traffic control for you? Why'd you choose
1: it? Um, like I said, I love aviation and uh, had a heart for it since I was young. And then I was back and forth air traffic controller, pilot. And just seeing what my dad does and how much he loves his job and he's just always happy and he's home you know more than most parents i would say with the job you know a full-time job i felt like he was always home you know aside from the two nights a week when he had a night shift but he was also always home and loved his job and never did he never did not like going to work i think that's how you say that but you know he always enjoyed going to work you know and coming back from work happy and stuff and then just looking into it more it's a job where the job doesn't follow you home you know i come home i can sit watch tv play video games whatever but my girlfriend she's got to do grading papers or she's got to, you know read an essay or all that stuff i'm like that just doesn't sound fun <laughs> you know work follows you home i don't want to work when i'm not at work you know <laughs> so
0: and so going to the academy did you did you know if you prefer a center or a tower
1: for me personally, I really didn't prefer. I just wanted to get in the door and get the job, you know, because I knew you could move within, you know, if you start in the center you and you want to go to the tower, you could eventually get there or vice versa. But for my academy class, it was actually really interesting. When we got there in February of 16, they, uh, we made it through all the basics and everything, and we were getting ready to start. Um, we were originally assigned the en route program. We were originally starting that. And then they came in about a week out or so and said, hey, we have too many enroute students. We need some of you guys to go terminal and some of you guys to go um, enroute. And I really didn't know because again, I didn't care if I was enroute or, you know, terminal. I just wanted to get in the door and get started, you know. And uh, so I actually called my dad and asked him, I was like, hey, what do you think? What should I do? We talked about it a little bit and he said, you know, if you can get in the terminal environment right away, he's like, you like airplanes too much to not physically see them. You know, you don't you like looking out the windows and seeing, you know, Southwest flying over the top, or you know, when we went to Oshkosh a few times. You love seeing the airplanes physically. So he said, you know, if they give you the opportunity, he said, I would transfer to a terminal just because you get that opportunity to be in the tower and see the airplanes and how that whole thing works, and you just like that so much. So then I took his advice and went terminal, and has been the story since terminal got done. Came to Wichita
0: and been here since. <laughs> Well, that's a really a good transition to my next question because it, it it seems like Wichita was a a perfect place for you to start and to continue your career currently because you got an Air Force base and then these two other uh, pretty busy satellite airports in your airspace, right? Colonel James Jabara, and Beach Factory Field. Are there other airfields also that you all are responsible for?
1: Yeah. Um, so, yeah, like I said, we have uh, Wichita Eisenhower McConnell Air Force Jabara and Beach as well, but just a matter of six seven miles away from mcconnell beach and jabara we also have steerman field which is a very popular ga flying spot on the weekends because they have like a restaurant that's literally like right on the runway so a lot of people you know that you know fly for that hundred dollar cheeseburger you know it's a pilot term they all go to steerman field which is right there there's augusta which is just down the highway from mcconnell and there's two flight schools and each flight school has six seven eight planes and they're always flying and then there's a parachute activity that's like four or five miles south of augusta at cook field you know so all within 20 miles or so of our airport we have another what six airports <laughs> right there so it, 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 that gets pretty congested and then it spreads out a little bit we you know we go all the way out to hutchinson which you know that's 45 you know miles away from here so then we start spreading out to where you get a little bit of air and you know, a little bit of air between airports and stuff, but right there in that 120-mile ring, it's very
0: congested. <laughs> so this seems like a perfect place for an airplane lover such as yourself. Oh, yeah. that's you, You've got it all going on there, right?
1: Oh, yeah. That's that's what my dad said because when you know, we got our list, you know, we were going through the airports and places I could go, and my dad said, Hunter, Wichita, it's right there. It's the air capital. It's GA. There are airplanes everywhere. They love their airplanes in Wichita. Like, that's where you got to go. Like, it, it's calling your name, you know? So, yeah,
0: Wichita definitely was the calling, if you will, for it. <laughs> so let's talk about the facility then. What is that level of traffic and that intricacies of traffic and the close proximity of all those airports? How does that play into the operation at Wichita and the interaction between all of you brothers and sisters to effectively manage that airspace? What is that like, if you can generally speak about your your mission there? It's certainly something else It's different.
1: Um, Once, you know, at first we can, you know, in the more early wee hours of the day, you know, it's like any facility is slowly building up. But then once you start seeing all the VFR targets tagging up and picking up here and there, we're like, okay, here they come. You know, all the GA boys are getting ready to fly again. And so we can start seeing it pick up that way. And we're we're more often than not to open up a second or third radar scope if needed, because. That east side over there where Jabara and Beach and McConnell is, it's just so congested that if somebody calls for a second scope, even though we're like, dude, you're talking to like nine or 10 airplanes, you don't need a second scope, but you just know it's going to happen. So we don't question it. We all get it. That's a busy spot over there. So if we got to get somebody to work that little area over there, then we're going to get somebody to work that little area. and you know, everybody watches that area a little bit more carefully, you know, whether it's the supervisor or the flight data person, that area just gets a little bit more attention to, um, just because of how congested that is. So there's usually another pair of eyes somewhere watching that area as well. You know, you don't know where it's from, but somebody
0: else is watching it somewhere. (laughs) That sounds very, that sounds wise for sure. Yeah. Uh, so let's talk about this event then, because we're talking about, January the 29th, 2020. So right before COVID, of course. uh, So uh, traffic was what it would normally be uh, at the end of January, 2020. Can you talk about that particular shift, how long you had been on uh, position and how long into your shift and weather conditions and time of day and that kind of thing from what you recall?
1: If I recall, I would say it'd be probably like right around, you know, busy periods like midday. I don't recall if it was before or after launch, but it was like right in like that peak time, you know, not when like everybody's getting lunch, but it's like when everybody's like coming in for lunch, or everybody's leaving for lunch or after lunch and something in that part. So I think I've been at work for maybe about six hours or so. So about half my shift is, you know, getting, getting closer, looking at the watch now, getting ready to go home a little bit, if you will. Um, but yeah, it was definitely a clear VFR day, just like any other day in Wichita. I remember that much because the guy, um, The aircraft that did end up almost going to the wrong spot he uh he called the airport in sight 20 30 miles away so it was definitely a clear vfr day just like another day in wichita and um like i said it was probably getting pretty busy if i recall there was a lot of vfr airplanes out in the area um flying around uh so it was was starting to get pretty busy from again either just just before lunch or just after lunch if i recall i don't um, recall exactly the time of day but yeah, I'd say I was probably at least a little over halfway
0: done with my shift as well. Okay. And and so the aircraft we're talking about uh, in this particular event was a Cessna 680 twin engine. Can you talk about, uh, was it just the pilot or were, were there passengers on board, do you know? I don't know. It's a, a business jet. Um, I'm assuming that
1: they would have had some sort of business persons on board. Um, cause they were going to Jabara and that's a very business person's hotspot to fly into. There's a lot, a lot of corporate jets out there. We actually just had a company that told us they bought 40 new business jets to fly out of Jabara. So we're like, Oh my gosh, more airplanes over there. <laughs> I'm pretty sure there's probably people on board in the back there. Um, guys going in for lunch, you know? Um, but yeah, that, that's like that biz jet, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's one, or, there's two pilots on that jet. Um. Don't know if they're familiar with the area or not or what because that area like you said earlier is very close and complexity so
0: so jabara is on the north i'm looking at a map as you're talking there uh, uh, and try and set this for our listeners of this podcast at least is we're talking about the northeast side of the wichita metro area jabara is on the far northeast side uh just to the northeast of uh highway 96 which goes around in a Beltway type fashion around the Wichita area. So, can you talk about the approach that this particular aircraft was shooting? And was was it standard in every way? Uh, you know, there wasn't anything unusual about it. So yeah, Jabara. Um,
1: yeah, you said like I it said, it's on the far northeast side of town, just north of uh, the loop. You know, the 96 highway. That's like you said, a beltway or a loop around the town. Um, he was. He got there. The uh, radar controller descended him down to about 3,000 feet, that's the lowest you can go here in the Wichita area is 3,000 feet. And uh, I think the pilot then said he had Jabara in sight, if I recall. And the controller said, Roger, cleared visual approach Jabara airport. And at that point, because there's really no arrival procedure into Jabara, um, there's a recommended procedure for pilots to fly um, if they're VFR pilots or an IFR pilot flying a, VF or a visual approach or something. Um, which is to cross Jabara at midfield and then enter the downwind on the west side of the field. Um, Depending if it's you know which way you're in the land, that's up to the pilot's discretion because it's a non towered airport. Um, So again, he got the pilot down, cleared him for the visual. And then if I recall a few minutes later, the pilot canceled their IFR, which is very common. We try to ask pilots to cancel sooner than later in that area just so that way because those three airports beach mcconnell and jabara all right there's it's three airports but it's still one in one out because they're so close together and so we ask people to cancel sooner than later because once they cancel then we can get the next guy going you know in that area sure um so if i recall he canceled his ifr they gave him the normal you know IFR cancellation received squawk vfr um changed to jabar advisories and so they did that and um I was sitting in the back watching on flight data issue. So I'm issuing clearances to the guys at Jabara or the guys at beach or amending military routes and stuff like that. Um, and then all of a sudden I saw that guy cancel it and I just saw a tag disappear on my scope. I didn't think anything of it. I was like, that was weird. And then I saw and I was like, I think there was somebody that was going into Jabara over there. He maybe just went to BFR, but then all of a sudden I saw him at 3000 and I saw him start like nose diving down, like down to like 2,000 feet very rapidly. I'm like, that's really weird. Like there's no, that's not normal. You know, most planes stay about 3,000. They'll get down a little bit, you know, into the pattern altitudes. And uh, again, cross Jabara midfield, but then this pilot started deviating a little bit to the south. So he was pointed more or less at Jabara, but then he started turning a little bit to the left and he was pointed more towards like beach field now. And if you look at your map again there, so Jabara, it's north of a highway, but then you go a little bit south of that, Beach Field is also north of another highway. So they're the same runway configurations and they're both north of a highway. It's which highway, you know? So the pilot, he was looking at at this point, you know, Beach Field. He saw the airport north of the highway and he started deviating towards that airport, which is now Beach Field. And as it got closer, I'm just watching, I'm like, maybe he's, you know, just gonna be entering a weird straight in for the Jabbar airport, not crossing midfield like is recommended for them to do. Um so then I put a leader line on it just to see like how this plane's gonna start flying. You know, is he gonna all of a sudden, you know, dip it towards beach or something because it just it just didn't seem right. It wasn't feeling right. Hmm. And uh so I was watching it a little bit more. And then when he got maybe about two or three miles away from Beach Field at this point, because, again, he turned left earlier and started aiming for, towards Beach Field, I called uh, Jim and Dan. They were working the radar scope at the time. And I said, hey, that Citation or Lear or whatever it was, going to Jabara, he's going to Beach. He's not going to Jabara.
0: Hmm.
1: And then that's when they quickly, I think, called Beach Tower and said, hey, we have an aircraft headed your way, and he's supposed to be going to Jabara. And then what happened from there what beach did if they light gunned the pilot or if beach went on jabara's unicom and told that i don't know but from my view i was just like that yeah that, that's just not normal you know it, it had pilots will mistake the two it happens here more than not we're you know we're famous for the the uh Boeing 747 whatever it was that transport that landed at jabara when it was supposed to land at mcconnell you know the most famous one of that um huh. But yeah, like I said, I just, I, he was doing, I think, the normal procedure. He was going, but he just got Jabbar and Beach mixed up because then it looked like he was going to be crossing Beach at midfield for a downwind. So I think he just had the wrong airport at the wrong point.
0: Here's that exchange on the ATC audio.
1: Beach, Wichita. Traffic about a mile south here. Uh, cancel out far with us. We told him to
0: stay out of the delta. Wichita. Yeah, beach. Your guys on the go here at beach. I canceled uh, takeoff clearance on Gulf Coast. So this guy clears out. Okay, uh, he is midfield on the go right now. I don't know who he is. Ah, uh, he's a citation. He's still main outside the class B. He was going into Jabar. Yeah, he's heading over Jabar now. Looks like. Yeah, he canceled that far. So. Okay. Yep. He's turning away. Gulf no, Coast no. is going here in about a minute. Okay. He's released. Well, Phoenix. So he's on the, the, the CTAF frequency, right? So he's communicating yes. that way. So uh, was it difficult or, or easy to get in touch with him to uh, to cancel his uh, mistaken approach into Beach?
1: Um, yeah, I, I think, I don't know what Beach did at that point, what uh, they did, because once he, because yeah, they gave him the visual approach and I think they might have switched him to CTAF frequency and told him, to cancel with us because they can reach us on the radios at Jabara in the air on the ground to cancel their IFR, um, but we like to get them over to CTAF sooner than later. Later, like at least 10-15 miles away, just because of how many airplanes are in that area, so that way they can start talking to other airplanes and figuring out uh, where they're going to be. Uh, but so then I think, like I said, once he then went full VFR, you know, he canceled his IFR. We got it. You know, it's. I don't, I hate to say it, but no controllers are do it. Where it's, you know, VFR canceled gone forget, you know, it's VFR tag out of sight, out of mind, you know, they forget about it. Um, And I think it was just the fact that I saw an airplane as IFR on my scope and then it disappeared and I wasn't expecting something to disappear. Or if you see something that you don't know is disappearing and it disappears, you're like, what was that? You know, Mm -hmm. why did something just disappear? Yeah. So it just caught my attention for the odd set, you know, the odd time of that. But yeah, so he was already over to CTAF talking to Jabara traffic, but he was going for Beach Field. And then that's when he actually called Beach Air Traffic Control Tower. He called their tower and told them about this. So then that's when I didn't know if maybe Beach Tower was, they got their light gun out maybe. And they were light gunning the airplane like with a red light. Like, hey, this is not where you're supposed to be. Or if Beach, they physically got on like Jabara's CTAF frequency. If like somehow Beach Tower can do that. Until this plane is going to the wrong airport, I don't know what Beach can do over there. Um, I'm sure Beach has some sort of something because of how close they are to Jabara. They can they sure. know what's going on at Jabara as well. Um, but then all of a sudden we saw the plane. He was coming out to Beach, and then he was down to about maybe 1,800 feet or so. So pretty close to the ground, like going to land at Beach. And then all of a sudden we saw his VFR tag come back up. And it was like at 22, 23 hundred feet, passed over Beach Field, and then went into Jabara. So he never landed at Beach, but he got pretty close, <laughs> at least <laughs> for us. You know, within at least half mile or so, oh, getting pretty wow. low.
0: And the obvious danger here was was, was multifaceted, but but uh, pretty uh, acute danger for the aircraft that was supposed to be taking off from Beach. That would have would that aircraft have flown into the path of the of the oncoming uh, uh Cessna oh uh, most definitely yeah
1: I think that uh, I don't know if beach had departing at the time um, but whatever it was so beach would have had the aircraft taken off and that citation they were probably on a collision course um one was gonna I think one was landing south one was landing north because it's uncontrolled out there and you know we hear more often than not somebody calls ready to depart runway 1A to Jabara but beach is taken off runway one. So somebody's taken off south and somebody's taken off north. It happens more often than not out there. Yeah. Um, so I think, yeah, beach, they might have had somebody that was ready to take off. And then there's this citation that they don't you know, all know about until we call them. And they're like, oh my gosh. So they did what they had to do. And, um yeah they, they would have been on a collision course or somebody would have climbed into somebody it, it, it could have been uh, midair over the top of down over the top of a business park in wichita
0: yeah um that situational awareness that you had and and the feeling that you had that something was not right can you talk about where that comes from is it is it Innate to to you having the experience of growing up with a controller, knowing a lot about the job, and then working for you know four years at that point in a place like Wichita that that this is such a busy uh, slice of airspace, or is there something specific that may have happened in your first four years that you know maybe a similar situation that. Kind of triggers that that skill that ability to be able to recognize something that's that's off and then react quickly like you did
1: i think a little bit definitely could come from the fact that i was growing up around it and my dad and seeing his you know seeing what he's done for so long and visiting the center and the tower in albuquerque i didn't think some of it just comes from that and you you know just talking to controllers then you know they just know like if something doesn't look right or whatever um I personally can't recall any times that it's happened to me where it, something didn't look right somewhere, but in my time in growing and training and gaining experience in the Wichita area, there's just like certain little things that my trainers and instructors have taught me just to like look for, like, hey, if you see something's like this, it shouldn't be like that. Um, and then it's just a skill, I believe, that's developed with controllers over time. That if something doesn't look right or doesn't feel right, it's definitely not right. You know, because you know what you're looking for. If something looks good, you know it's good. You don't really worry about it. But then if for some reason something is a skew or a miss, you're like, that just doesn't look right. I'm going to look a little bit closer into this and make sure it is right. You know, mm-hmm. whether it's, it could be something as simple as you clear a guy for an ILS approach and he's like half mile or so off the course and you're like, you know, that just doesn't look right. Why is he like that? You know, so you just make sure he's correct or something as, you know, big as this, like, wait, that just didn't look right. Why did all of a sudden something I wasn't expecting it happen, you know?
0: <laughs> sure.
1: So I think it's, it's, it's a skill more or less developed over time. I believe uh, that controllers around the country probably would agree. Like you just learn to develop that if something doesn't look right, you know, it's not right. You know, most right. people can forget. Like, ah, eh, not done look right, but somebody will fix it or something will happen. But I think us controllers, we all would say, like, if it doesn't look like look right, we're gonna say something to someone somewhere that
0: that doesn't look right, because it's it's our
1: job. You know, people's lives are in our hands.
0: You know, yeah, excellent. Th- thank you for that answer. I just have one more question for you, um, and that is about this Archie League Award. I mean, um, it, it's such an honor for for us at NACA to be able to present it uh to your facility to the three of you for a, a job extremely well done w- what are your thoughts about being recognized uh, for your work in this way
1: this is definitely a really cool honor um very excited uh super super cool and to see something that I guess this young and early in my career you know anybody anywhere anytime whether you're a trainee or a 25-year veteran you know, if you see something, not right, you say it, you know, the fact that, you know, they always say, see something, say something, you know, and then you do it. You just don't see any recognition for it. You're like, maybe they don't really see me. You know, it's like, whatever. But then when you get the recognition, you're like, people are watching. People do care. You know, they do appreciate what I'm doing and care that I'm doing this. And it, it's just a really cool feeling to really, really, really enjoy it. You know, um, very, That's very, very thankful for it, <laughs> for sure. Um, excellent yeah something <laughs> I, I joke with my dad too you know he spent 33 years plus and he never won when he's like i don't get it how did you do it already <laughs> <You know? laughs> i'm like i don't know dad <laughs> something just didn't look right and feel right in the gut and i said something and you know they recognized it so and i'd say for all the controllers out there and everybody out there even if you're just a you know office guy, you know driving home from work, if something doesn't look right, you know see something, say something, because it's probably not right. You mm-hmm. know, we as human beings, we know what should be right, what's not right. Same thing as air traffic controllers. If something, you know, we know what's right, what's not right. If it's not right or doesn't look right, say something. The worst they're gonna say is, "Oh no, that's how it's supposed to be." You know, or the best thing ever is you just save, you know, potentially dozens or hundreds of lives. You don't know.
0: <laughs> yeah excellent I appreciate that that very much thats that's great advice for everybody out there no matter what your occupation is so well good thank you again uh, this has been a fantastic conversation and uh and I, it's it's been my honor and I really appreciate you giving us the time here this morning
1: oh yeah you're very 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 welcome yeah it's uh honor to be here and honor to earn the award and the recognition from the FA and the naCA and everybody
0: good you too all right bye-bye Thanks for joining us for this episode of the NACA podcast. I'm Doug Church. Take care and stay safe.